wanted to start by telling you a story from, um, it was in between my junior and senior year of college. I uh, had, a, had a summer internship working with high school students at uh, Napanee Missionary Church in Indiana. And, and so this was about uh, the time in, uh, in the development of cell phone technology that text messaging really started to take off. So students, there was a time before text messaging, believe it or not. It was about this time it, it started to be a thing. There were still no smartphones yet, so, so cell phone addiction wasn't really a widespread thing at that point. Um, but I remember being exposed to the early signs of that kind of thing um, uh, at this point. So uh, there was this one night that the youth ministry had an event at a local coffee shop, and I was sitting by uh, a 17-year-old boy in the youth group who had a cell phone and was obviously going for the world record of text messages sent and received in one month. I mean, this guy, it was, it was nonstop. It seemed like every couple seconds his phone was dinging. Every time his phone would ding, then pull it out and respond to the message. He had to have a dozen conversations going at once. I mean, it just seemed like it had to be the case. So I was watching this for a while, and finally, I finally asked him how long he thought he could go without checking the messages on his phone. Right? I was just curious. And, and he, he, <laughs> he probably thought it was a silly question because he kind of just brushed it off and, and, and made some uh, comment about it. But, but, but my curiosity was, was sufficiently piqued by that point. And so um, I, I thought I would make things interesting. Okay? I said, I, I've got $2, which for a high school and a college student was a good amount of money, right? So I've got $2, and, and if you can go 10 minutes without checking your phone, this $2 is yours, <laughs> right? So, and, uh, you know, wouldn't you know it, he took me up on it. And a couple seconds later, his phone dinged. <laughs> Text message came in. And then another, and then another, and then another, and they just <laughs> kept coming. And after a minute or two, I decided that even if I lost my $2, this is totally worth it. Like watching this guy squirm as the text messages are coming in. Um, and believe it or not, he made it 10 minutes. <laughs> the world didn't stop spinning. You know, who would have thought? And, uh, and I gave him the $2 that I owed him. I did not think he would make it, but <laughs> apparently he, he, uh, he tried hard and he got it. Now, now the reason I, I bring that up this morning is because if I, if I had not challenged that guy in the way that I did, there's no way he would have gone 10 minutes that evening without checking his phone. There would not have been a 10-minute period of time where he did that. There's just no way without that challenge I put before him. But once his perspective changed... Once he was focused on something different, my $2 that I offered to him, then his ability to persevere markedly increased. I mean, it, it almost changed everything. His, his focus directly impacted his endurance, even while his phone was dinging in his pocket over and over again. So, so you know, the reason I bring that up this morning, the, the believers to whom James wrote his letter obviously didn't have cell phones dinging in their pocket, right? But, but they did find themselves in a situation which was difficult. It was a situation 
in which what we're going to see this morning is that James challenged them to patiently endure. Now, now we don't know, we don't know for sure the exact uh, details of their difficulty. It could have stemmed from their dispersion from Jerusalem out into the Roman Empire due to the persecution that they faced, right? So it, it could be that. Um, it could have stemmed from the opposition of uh, the hands of rich people. Um, uh, you know, James, his words at the beginning of chapter 5 that we talked about last week make that a possibility. They, they might have been oppressed there, and so that could have been their difficulty. But whatever it was exactly, it was a difficulty. And because James is writing to followers of Jesus, he challenges them, he urges them, to respond to that difficulty with patient endurance. And so what we're going to see in our, our passage this morning, the first sentence in the passage is the overarching command from Jesus, uh, from James, excuse me. And what follows that first sentence is then three specific situations in which that command should be carried out. So, so let's look first at that overall command. We're in, uh, we're in James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. So this is what James writes, and it's just the first sentence, about the first half of the verse. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So as I, as I said earlier, we're not exactly sure what their difficulty was, Due to James telling the believers to be patient, therefore, I, I'm led to believe that, that, that patience is urged in light of what James had just talked about in his letter, which, which would be, you know, the, uh, the rich oppressors that he mentioned um, early, uh, just a few verses earlier. So, you know, in light of, of those rich oppressors, how they were treating them, you know, treating them quite poorly, we can, we can be certain that the believers are urged to be patient and endure their difficulty. But again, even if that wasn't the specific situation that James had in mind, that's the overall message of today's passage. The command is to respond in patience to the difficulty at hand, not to seek to take control of the situation, force a certain outcome, but to be patient. And, and, and we'll look at the practical applications of that real short, real shortly, but, but that's the main point. Be patient. But why is patience the response that James calls believers to have? When he, when he looks at what was going on, when he sees the difficulty in their lives, and he says, be patient, brothers, why, why that? Why is that what he said? It's what he goes on to say at the end of that sentence. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The Lord is coming. And since Jesus has already come to earth and ascended back into heaven at this point, we can more clearly say that the Lord is coming again. Be patient, brothers. The Lord is coming. He's coming again. The believers are called to patience up until the return of Jesus to the earth. In the face of hardship, difficulty, suffering, be patient and trust that Jesus will return. That's what James is saying 
here. It's such a simple statement, right? Such a simple concept there, but one that admittedly leads to plenty of questions, doesn't it? It's not hard to understand what James is saying, but, but the why behind it can be difficult, and the actual, uh, the actual putting it into practice can be so difficult as well. And when you think about a difficulty in your own life, the last thing you may want to hear is be patient, right? <laughs> or I'll at least speak for myself. That's the last thing I want to hear, be patient. When we look at, at our, our, our state or our country or our world, and the last thing we may want to hear is be patient. But whether we want to hear those words or not, we need to hear those words. And, and, and what James goes on to do then is he highlights three specific difficulties in which we ought to be patient. He gives us three examples of patience and three reasons why patience, and, and ultimately what he's talking about is patient trust in Jesus, is a good thing. So, you know, as we get ready to look at these three examples, uh, you can see in the sermon notes, uh, if you look there, that points two through four all start with the word behold. Now, I, I did that because James uses the same Greek word three times to draw our attention to three examples. I, I, would, I would love to ask the ESV translation team why they translated that Greek word as see in verse 7 and then behold in verses 9 through 9 and 11. It's the exact same usage of the exact same word all three times, and, and see and behold are both valid translations. Neither one is wrong. I, I just wonder why they didn't use the same English word to highlight the development of James's argument here. I'm just not sure. But because I wrote my sermon notes, I just used behold every time to kind of give us a roadmap there. So, so let's look at who we are to behold or, or see first, and that would be the farmer. So halfway through uh, verse 7, James says this, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, there's lots of professions that require patience, no question. But being a farmer is most definitely one of them. And, and patience in farming is required in many ways, but perhaps the most obvious is in terms of rainfall, isn't it? So, so farming is a little different in our neck of the woods, but in Israel... When it comes to the, to the wheat and the barley crops, rain was needed soon after the seeds were planted in the fall, which is the early rains, and then rain was needed again before the crops were harvested in the spring, which is the late rains. So when James references early and late rains here, that's what he's talking about. A farmer in that context really had two choices. You could stress and fret and worry about whether the rain would come. You can, you can anxiously watch the, the sky each day to see if the rain clouds are going to form and the rain's going to fall. Or you can be patient and trust the God of the universe to provide what is needed in order to bring about the harvest, or, or the phrase James uses, the, the precious fruit of the earth. 
Yeah, neither then nor today do farmers have the ability to cause the skies above their fields to open and close, depositing the exact amount of rain at the exact right speed at the exact right time. Like, we, we have not figured that out. I don't think we're ever going to figure that out. Never is a farmer guaranteed all or any of those specific thing, things, the right rain at the right speed at the right time. Instead, what they have to do is plant their seeds in the ground and patiently wait on God to provide the necessary rainfall. Now, even when a farmer was patient, even if a farmer went into that planting season, throughout that season, said, I'm going to be as patient as I've ever been this time, there was still uncertainty regarding the growing season, right? The farmer was given no guarantees that that season wouldn't be a major failure. I mean, even with all the advancements in farming today, farmers are still not guaranteed a successful growing season. And yet, James directs the reader's attention to the farmer who in the midst of that uncertainty still patiently waits for what only God can provide him. Rain in that instance. So the believers to whom James wrote surely had uncertainty about their situation. Maybe not rain, maybe they themselves aren't farmers, but uncertainty about something in their life. They, they, they faced difficulties with no guarantee regarding what would transpire. And yet, James directs their attention to the farmer and calls them to be similarly patient. He says, you also be patient. Now, if you, if you think about our world today, our context, you know, we face much less uncertainty due to technological advancements that have been made, but, but we've not removed all uncertainty from our lives. And again, I don't, we're never going to. And you might even argue that because we face uncertainty less, we're less prepared to, we're less prepared when we do face it. But regardless, James directs our attention to the farmer and calls us to be similarly patient amidst our own uncertainty. So we can stress and we can fret and we can worry and, and attempt to take control of things, or we can patiently endure our difficulty trusting in God. And, and unlike the farmer, we do have a guarantee Right? The rains were not guaranteed to come. Jesus is guaranteed to come again. That is a firm promise. We can, we can, we can establish, our strength, establish our hearts or, or strengthen our hearts in the midst of uncertainty because we are promised by God that he is coming again. Jesus will return to this earth. And God has shown that he does not break his promises. He said that he will return, so he will return. And James even says at the end of verse 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's near. The return of Jesus is near. Now, we've got to stop right there, right? Because James wrote this 2,000 years ago, roughly 2,000 years ago. Uh, did he misspeak? Uh, did he misunderstand? I mean, uh, what's going on here? If Jesus, if his coming was near, shouldn't he have come by now? It's been almost 2,000 years. When you think about the phrase at hand or, or the word near, 
that's a relative term, isn't it? It depends on our perspective. And so to illustrate this, I, I went around to the Sunday school classes last week, children's classes and the adult classes, and I asked them this question. I said, Christmas is 49 days away from today, from last Sunday, 49 days away. Would you say Christmas is coming soon or it's far away? So what do, you, what, do you, what do you think I found when I asked that question? It kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, the adults overwhelmingly said that Christmas is coming soon, only 49 days. And I think only men raised their hand to say it was far away. So I guess we know who doesn't do the bulk of the Christmas shopping, right? But adults were overwhelmingly Christmas is coming very soon. The children were, were a bit more balanced in their responses, but, but twice as likely to say that Christmas is far away. That that's, that's a long time to wait. So who's right? I mean, who's right in that? They both are, right? They're, they're both right depending on the perspective that they have of the situation. So when James wrote that the coming of the Lord is at hand, he's not wrong, even though it's been 2,000 years since he wrote those words. The next event to take place on God's redemptive calendar is Jesus returning. And, and maybe like a little child, we think it's a long time coming, that it's taking forever, but it's coming. That is the next event that will take place. So the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so James says we ought to be patient in the midst of our uncertainty. We can patiently endure by remembering that Jesus is coming back and that his coming is at hand. It's near. And, and, and we'll see as we go on today, Jesus isn't coming back just to sightsee. He's got an agenda when he comes back. And so you know, we'll see that as we go on. So, so James says, behold the farmer. Behold the, the farmer who patiently endures in uncertainty. And then the second person, the second example, uh, we are to behold the judge. And, and when we talked about farmer, it was a generic farmer, right? Like little, little lowercase f farmer. But judge, you see in, in the text, is capital J, judge. So look with me at verse 9. James says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So when we face difficulty, the temptation is to... The temptation at least increases is to, to grumble, to complain and quite often to one another or about one another, right? We can be tempted to look at someone else's situation and, and grumble about the fact that they don't have it as bad as we do. Or, or we can be tempted to, to look at someone else's situation and grumble that they are causing the difficulties in our lives. Or we can, might, our situation might not have anything to do with this other person, but we still grumble because we're just taking out our frustration on, on others. And in other words, we can look at our own difficulties, and when comparing them to other situations, we see injustice. And, and, and the injustice may very well be real. The injustice we feel might be exaggerated. The injustice we feel might be, might be uh, just something that it's completely imagined. We're coming up with that in our own mind. But either way, we, that, we focus on injustice. And, and when we 
does, when, when we feel like we truly are or feel like we're facing injustice, what do we want? It's kind of a trick, not even really a really trick question. We want justice, right? We feel injustice. What we want is justice. And who in society is tasked with bringing justice? Judges. That's, that's, that's the point. The reason the believers are called to patiently endure injustice is not because a human judge will bring justice to them, but, but because the divine judge is at the door. He is bringing justice. Think about uh, Revelation chapter 5. Jesus is described as, as both the, the lamb and the lion. First time Jesus came to earth, you know, what, what we're going to soon celebrate during Advent, he came as the lamb. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. When Jesus comes back, second time he comes, which is at hand, remember, he will come as a lion. He will come to rule and to judge and to proclaim justice across the earth. James says that judge, the judge, is standing at the door. He is ready and he will enter in and bring justice. And so because of that, believers ought to patiently endure when injustice is faced. Now, I, I, I do want to make a disclaimer here. I, I don't believe this means that we never strive for justice in any way prior to the return of Jesus, okay? I, 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 we definitely should strive for justice, especially for others. That, that's part of the character of God. We are called to live out justice in his name. But especially when it comes to ourselves, we ought not hold our own justice or, or justice shown to us higher than we hold our holiness. Right? We, we shouldn't disregard holy living in order to secure temporary earthly justice here and now. We ought to, ought to be patient and know that the judge is standing at the door. We can be patient and trust that he will bring ultimate justice, true and lasting justice. He says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Uh, so we behold the farmer, we behold the judge, and in the last thing, we are, we are to behold the Old Testament prophets as well as Job. James talks about both. So in verse 10, he says this, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So if, if you want to look at an example of suffering, you can pick just about any of the Old Testament prophets. Seems like they all faced it in one way or another. But let's, let's focus on Jeremiah for just a moment. Jeremiah proclaimed God's message to God's people, and he was beaten for it and placed in stocks by a priest in Jeremiah chapter 20. Uh, Jeremiah proclaimed God's message to God's people and was beaten and imprisoned for it in Jeremiah 37 because they considered him to be a traitor. 
Jeremiah continued to proclaim God's message to God's people, and he was thrown into a cistern in chapter 38. I mean, (laughs) like many of the other prophets, Jeremiah knew what it was to suffer, and suffer at the hands of his own people, nonetheless. And yet, Jeremiah patiently endured, trusting in God through all of those things. No matter what the people did to him, he pressed on. He continued to receive the message from God and proclaim it faithfully to God's people. And again, he's just the example. You can say that about all of the Old Testament prophets. And then there's Job. Job wasn't a prophet, but he too knew suffering. And in a short manner of time, Job's livestock, his children, his health were all taken from him. And, and yet he remained steadfast, refusing to curse God when, when those around him would have and did. I mean, his own wife told him to I mean, curse God. His, his, uh, Job's patient endurance showed itself in his statement, maybe one of the more famous statements from the book of Job. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That, that was Job's response to what he faced. That's what uh, patient endurance looked like in Job's life. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And if you think about it, I, it struck me this week when I was, when I was reading something. That, that statement has been on the lips and on the hearts of believers since it was recorded. I mean, really. God's people have, have read the book of Job and, and had that statement on their, on their lips through the worst of suffering, things that I cannot even begin to relate to or even imagine. And, and that's often been, been the statement. I mean, what, that's crazy to think about, isn't it? The, the, just the times in which the, the, those, those statements have, have been proclaimed. And, and you just have to ask, how? I mean, how, how can that be? The response, how, how is Job able to patiently endure when nearly everything that he had was taken away from him? Jeremiah, how, how is Jeremiah able to patiently endure when his own people turned against him and, and treated him terribly? In, in terms of Job and Jeremiah, they, they, they both knew that in the midst of their suffering, what, what does James write at the end there? How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. They they. Both knew that in the midst of what they were facing. They knew the story wasn't over until God's compassion and mercy was poured out upon them. And, and you know, I, James draws our attention um, to this by reminding us of the end of the story of Job. The story ended with Job receiving back even more than he lost. Now, I I mean, I get it. That's fine when it comes to sheep and goats and donkeys and things like that, right? You know, to get back twice as much as you lost. But, but being given children again doesn't 
replace the ones who have died, right? And I'm not, I'm not trying to ignore that fact in what I'm saying this morning. I'm sure Job continued to carry that pain with him for the rest of his life. But we can't miss the fact that the story wasn't over until God's compassion and mercy were plainly seen in Job's life. That was how it ended. And even though plenty of prophets in the Old Testament died in the midst of their steadfast and didn't maybe see God's compassion and mercy in its fullness in this life, their story isn't over until they will receive their eternal reward from God. God's full compassion and full mercy will be known by them in the life to come, no doubt. So Jesus is coming again, and when the story is all said and done, his compassion and his mercy will be unmistakable. Unmistakable. It'll be unmistakable upon the earth in a, in a general overarching sense, but it'll be unmistakable in our own lives as well. Uh, Paul says uh, in, in Romans eight eighteen. he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that's how Paul writes it in, in his words, from his perspective. That, that when, you know, when James says, you've seen the purpose of the Lord, that's the purpose or the end or the outcome of, of the Lord that's spoken about there. The Lord is now and forever compassionate and merciful, and his glory will be revealed to us and poured out upon us in an incredible way. In this life, at times we get glimpses of that in this life. We experience it at times here and now, but for sure, for all eternity, that will be the reality. So when we kind of zoom back out from the specific examples that, uh, that James gives us here. Uh, the difficulties that we face in this life can weigh so heavily upon us, right? And, and they can make us anxious, can make us angry, uh, make us doubt, doubt God's ways, doubt God himself. In, in all of those reactions, responses, the temptation is to grab a hold of the reins and try to take control of our life, right? It's like, God, if you're not going to do it the way I think you should or the way I want you to do it or the way that makes sense to me, then I'm going to do it myself. Why, why should I trust you? I'm just going to have to try and fix things on my own. That can be the temptation. But, but James urges us to let go of the reins and allow God to be in control, to, to be patient as we endure the difficulties of this life, knowing that Jesus is coming again. I mean, that is the ultimate sign that God is in control. Jesus is coming again. You know, if, if Jesus wasn't coming again, then what's the point in being patient? What's the, what's the point in patient endurance? It'd be futile. We might as well try to fix things ourselves if Jesus is not coming again. But he is coming again, and we can be certain of that. And, and, you know, as I said earlier, he's not coming back to sightsee. He's coming back to judge justly. He's coming back to compassionately and mercifully set all things right that have been damaged by sin. 
And if we're honest, in the darkest of days, it can be tough to remember that, isn't it? It can be so tough to remember that. Our immediate situation and, and, and the perspective we have in that situation can overwhelm us. Um, our emotions can, can uh, lead us to, to a place of doubt. And that's why we need each other in this. We need to speak the truth of Jesus' return to each other. On the days when I'm having trouble remembering or holding on to Jesus' imminent return, I need you to speak it into my life, to remind me of it. On the days that you are having trouble remembering or holding on to Jesus' imminent return, I need to speak it into your life, right? One of, one of the grandest blessings of being part of a local church is that we do not have to patiently endure alone. I mean, what a blessing that is. God has given us each other to support and to encourage and uphold one another during, during the, all the difficulties, all the many difficulties of life that we face. Um, the writer of Hebrews said it this way. He said, we should not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but we should encourage one another all the more as we see the day, and it's a capital D day. He's talking about the day of Jesus' return. So we see that day drawing near. So let's hear James's call to patiently endure because we see that day approaching. Day is coming, and let's walk with one another in that journey, encouraging one another, reminding one another that that day is approaching, even when it's night, right? Even when it's so dark that it doesn't feel like it'll ever be day again. The day is coming, figuratively and literally. The day is coming. We can help each other in that, remind one another. That is how we can patiently endure through what we face in this life. So let's together stand before God. Come before him and praise him. And also ask that he would keep us focused on that day that's coming. Heavenly Father, we... We face difficulty in this life. We live in a fallen world. We are fallen ourselves, apart from you. And so suffering is part of that. It's not a surprise to you. It's, it's, it's something you can relate to as you've walked this earth. You know what we face. Pray that in the midst of the, the suffering that, that we experience, that you, would, that you would remind us that your coming is near, that we can, we can trust you, we can patiently endure by trusting in you. And help us to, to remind one another of that as well. Help us to, to build and foster the kind of relationships when we sense that Somebody needs to be reminded of that. Give us that continued passion and urgency to keep meeting together, that we can keep spurring one another on as we look toward you.
and you're coming again. I thank you of the certainty of that. God, we know that you will return. It seems far away. seems like it's not coming. We, we so often wish it would be here sooner. But help us to rest in you and know that it is. That the coming of the Lord is at hand. Thank you for the promise of that. We thank you for the hope of that. And we thank you that you love us enough to come back. We pray these things in your name this morning. Amen. Um, the